Amen. We hope you do take the opportunity to serve at Feed My Starving Children coming up here in November, which November is just a couple days away, you guys. Yikes. I'm just getting used to writing 2022 on stuff. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but also, we want to make you aware of something else that's happening, and that is uh, Operation Christmas Child. So we have the opportunity to uh, serve the Lord and connect with people overseas through Feed My Starving Children, but also opportunities through Operation Christmas Child. Today is the beginning, so if you are interested, there are boxes available. It's over by the Children's Ministry. You can get a box and uh, put the box together. And if you're going, well, I'm not sure how to pack a shoebox, cool. We have a pamphlet to help you out with that. Uh, that is also over in the Children's Ministry area that you can see. We need those back by November 20th, so just a few weeks, about three weeks, to uh, fill those out and then uh, get them sent out. And it's a great opportunity, again, to get the message of the gospel into hands of people who maybe don't have access or as easily accessed to uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we want to encourage you to uh, engage in Operation Christmas Child as well. Lots of opportunities to love, live, and serve like Jesus. And with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do love you, and we thank you and praise you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be exalted and lifted up here today. We thank you for your word, that it's true and that it's good. And Lord, we recognize our great need for you. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as as we uh, move through your word and try to better understand your word and in the power of the Spirit, Lord, we, we ask that we would be able to walk in faith. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I come to you today with a, a little bit of a heavy heart, and by a little bit of a heavy heart, I mean I have a really heavy heart. My uh, aunt, who I grew up going to her home in the summers, my favorite aunt, who uh, spoiled us. Uh, she passed away yesterday, and um, she had been a recluse for about the last five years, and so it was sad to see just kind of this physical demise and spiraling that took place in her life. Uh, she was that aunt who could chew you up one side and down the other, and you'd walk away going, I think she really loves me, and I don't know how she did it, but she did it, and uh, uh, my, my heart is heavy for her. My heart's heavy for her, though, because of a question that is floating around in my head and heart, and that is, where is she? And what decisions did she make? It, there were times as we were growing up that she would say things that pointed us to God, or at least an interest in God, and there were other times where it seemed the exact opposite. And trying to know where she is, is uh, brings a lot of questions. It's not clear. And so today, with a heavy heart, I'm asking you, in fact, I'm begging you to let it be clear, to let it be known where, where you're at with the Lord, where, where you have taken a step of faith. I'm, I'm begging you, please, don't allow the day to come where you graduate into eternity and you have loved ones on this side of things going, I don't know. I mean, they attended church, but I never heard them say anything about God. Uh, they talked about God in general terms, but I don't know if they ever really followed Jesus. Please don't let that be you. We're going to go through uh, uh, some passages today 
that are going to lead us down a progression of decision-making and clarity. And very honestly, I'm asking all of us to just start at ground zero. Let's not assume anything, and let's walk through this together and just see where the Lord will take us. And, and my hope is that today we have... Uh, there, there would be a spiritual birth, or at least clarity that there has been a spiritual birth. Because here's what I've seen too many times. I said this prayer one time when I was 12, and so I'm good. But nothing ever changed. No, nothing. And so it was just kind of a rubbing the genie's lamp sort of mentality. A get out of hell free sort of card that was played. And I, and I, I want to tell you that, it, biblically speaking, it's not a prayer that saves us. It's Jesus and faith in him. And, and so we're going to challenge that and walk through that today, each of us individually. It's not because I'm trying to be mean. It's not because I want to be harsh. Uh, it's not because I don't love you. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's because I love you that I want to push in these areas. So please take it the way that it's intended uh, and born out of love. With that in mind, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible and you use your phone, that's great. I'm trusting you that you're actually using your phone for your Bible, and that'll be my step of faith today, all right? All right. Well, we, we have been going through a series uh, called Remarkable, Jesus Revealed, and that in this book of Mark, God has come in the flesh, and that God coming in the flesh is revealing the kingdom of God in new ways, ways it was supposed to be, and an opportunity for humankind to return back to the very presence of God in real ways. And Jesus reveals that significantly. Today in Mark chapter 4, if we had one thing that we were going to uh, understand, let me make this statement, that Jesus makes the kingdom of God accessible and uses parables to allow some to better understand God's kingdom. So parables are used to better understand God's kingdom, but not everybody gets it. And very honestly, uh, that is kind of a frustrating thing. Like, I feel like Jesus, when he was communicating, like, why not, why not tell us everything? Like, really explain this to us, Jesus. But he doesn't always do that. And he sometimes just goes, yeah, for those who have eyes to see, they'll get it. What? <laughs> but what about those who don't see? And Jesus addresses that as well. In fact, he does it this way. I'm sorry, uh, he does it this way. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Uh, Jesus is identifying something specifically, that those who are present on that day have been given a secret, and the secret is of the kingdom of God. So let's break that down for just a second. Remember, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve are walking with God, right? They love God, they're walking with God, they know God, they see him face to face, they're in relationship to him in very clear and very uh, uh, very tangible ways. But then, Adam and Eve choose to sin. They choose to 
not walk in faith but in fear, it's better for them, in their opinion, in that moment, to be like God instead of be with God. And in that moment, there is a separation. And the kingdom of God remains, but there is now this, if you want to call it a a kingdom of the world or a kingdom of humankind, a kingdom that breeds sin and death. And that kingdom is present, and you and I have been born into that kingdom. We understand the world from that kingdom perspective. We've seen it many times. In fact, it's been imprinted into our lives in ways that perhaps we can't even verbalize clearly. It just is what it is. And it's that kingdom, the kingdom of the world. Jesus is saying that you've been given a secret. And so from the Old Testament vantage point, there was an anticipation that the Messiah is coming. He's coming. One day we're going to know him. We're going to trust you, Lord. And then Jesus arrives, God in the flesh. And he's going to give them an answer, which is good, but it turns out that actually he, he is the answer. He, he is the secret. He is what people didn't know in the beginning, but now is being revealed to them in real time and is the way into the kingdom of God from the kingdom of the world. And Jesus is going to clarify that in a variety of ways as we walk through this passage and better understand parables. What is a parable? Good question. It's usually a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or religious principle. At least that's the dictionary. But let's see how God uh, uses parables in the Word. We're in Mark chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1 and read through it together as we look at this parable. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him. We should stop there because this large crowd uh, has shown up a couple of times in the last chapter. We recognize that there were a group of people who they were waiting to catch Jesus, right? Oh, as soon as he says something wrong, we're going to jump on this. There are another group of people. They heard Jesus and they said, wait a minute. He sounds like there is a demon control. I think he's demon possessed. And they said that he had Beelzebul uh, dwelling within him. And then there were another group of people, they were showing up because they were, they were at wit's end. Like, okay, we've, we've gone to the doctor, and the doctor can't heal us. We've tried these natural remedies, that hasn't worked. We've tried some, uh, uh, some, uh, some other things that our mom told us about, and that didn't work. Maybe Jesus, maybe he can heal us. And they went to Jesus for the healing, not for Jesus. And yet there were another group of people who were going, we've been anticipating the Messiah. Maybe that's him. Maybe that's him. Let's go check it out. And this crowd has come down uh, to hear Jesus. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. Remember the the last time a crowd came down, he was scared he was going to be crushed, right? So uh, this is a large crowd. And the whole crowd was beside the sea, on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in, and in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. 
other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's what he told the crowd, and then he walked away. <laughs> I go, what? <laughs> that's it? Yep, that's it. Now, I want you to start to ask yourself a question. Which one am I primarily? I would suggest today that there are certain seasons of life where perhaps all four of these have been true. And maybe there are seasons of life where we stay in one area more than other areas. And I would also suggest that there have been times where perhaps we thought we were in one area, this uh, 30, 60, or 100-fold area, where really we were in a different place altogether. May the Spirit of the Lord open our eyes to that. So which one is you? Which one best describes you of those four? Well, Jesus is going, he pulls the disciples off to the side, and they're asking questions, and Jesus is going to educate them. Now, I want you to understand something. What is different from the disciples than everyone else in the crowd? They're following Jesus. Uh, they get an answer from Jesus because they're following Jesus. Right? Don't, don't let that spiritual principle lose us, okay? Like sometimes maybe we have some questions that are only answered as we follow Jesus and when we follow Jesus. Let's look and see how Jesus responds. He, Jesus, said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So, let's pause there. We're going to come back to this idea uh, a couple more times. But think about how Satan works. Going back to Genesis, right? When Eve and Satan are talking, what does Satan do? He doesn't try to convince Eve to believe what he believes. He just tries to get her to doubt the truth. So he says it like this. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? And he's been doing that ever since. And it's pretty effective. Did God really say that? He doesn't need you to believe what he believes, just doubt the truth. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Recognizing that there are people who sometimes even intellectually seem to get it. Like, yep, I understand that. I receive that. Systematically, I get it. Intellectually, I understand. It makes sense. I believe that. But when push comes to shove, when there's persecution, be that from family or friends, be that in, uh, in action or attitude, suddenly they pull away. Mm. No, I, 
that was nice, but I, I, don't, I guess I don't need that. Continuing on. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Like, it seems like to me that this group is pretty distracted. Right? Like, oh yeah, there are other things going on that grab my attention. Yes, I am all about God's word. Ooh, something pretty over here. And they're, they're just distracted, right, with the world's stuff and the world's things. They didn't even have cell phones. Right? Like, what does that mean for us? Are we easily distracted? Does it get in the way? For sure. So let's pause and consider these areas, these three areas, and and beware of them. Satan taking away the word. Does he do that? John 10.10 tells us the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his job description. That's what he does. If you see that in your life, guess what? Satan is doing exactly what he said he would do. He's, He's sticking to his job description. Steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can come in and just get you to doubt the truth, boy, he's made it. And maybe you've even gone online and gone, oh, wait a minute. The word of God, I don't know, the internet says that that there are contradictions. That must be true because it's on the internet, right? Like, there are all these kinds of things that uh, that we hear and see, and it, it makes us doubt. And it's not that... Satan wants us to believe what he believes. If he can just get us to doubt the truth, well, that, that's enough. Whether that's, oh, there's contradictions in, in the Word of God, or well, a bunch of people wrote this book. Maybe, maybe it's just man-made. And those doubts come. And suddenly, that seed of the Word is taken away. Where we once felt like, yeah, this is truth, we're suddenly going, meh. Maybe that's not true at all. And the only way around that is through Christ. He's the key, right? He's the secret of the kingdom. If we trust Christ, how do we get out of that place where Satan is attacking? Well, well, we trust Christ. In fact, Jesus had a similar situation occur in his life. Do you remember where he's led off into the wilderness to fast and to pray? And there he's tempted by Satan. And what does Satan do? He even quotes scripture at Jesus. That's pretty gutsy. But that's what he does. He's gutsy like that. And he quotes scripture out of context to Jesus. And Jesus rightly quotes it back at him. And walks away. He's not tempted by that. Satan can't take it away because Jesus is... Jesus is walking in faith and shows us how to walk in faith, how to get into the Word and to use the Word to rightly push Satan away when he tries to get us to doubt. And then two, no roots. There are no roots. These tribulations and persecutions, they rise up. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16 with me. Matthew chapter 16. We'll start in verse 24. No roots. Yeah, that makes sense. I get it. I've heard people say this too. Like, all of a sudden, I asked Jesus in my life, and now it's hard. Yeah, what'd you think? Uh, It's going to be hard. Uh, You have a target on your back. 
Absolutely, it's not going to be easy. But we see oftentimes where people will pull away because the roots aren't that deep. And that's part of the reason why discipleship is so important. But this is what Jesus had to say about it. In verse 24 and 25, he goes, "Uh, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Yep, persecutions are going to come. And what does Jesus say? Oh, it'll be okay. I'll reward you. Nope. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Yep, it's going to hurt a little bit. Yep, you're going to have to learn to die to yourself. And that's what it takes to follow me. There's no apology there. And sometimes we're going to be persecuted, and sometimes that persecution and that tribulation is going to cost us something. Yep. And yet Jesus calls us to pick up our cross and follow him. And as we do, Jesus meets us in that place, and the kingdom of God is opened up to us. In that place, we better understand and walk with the Lord. And it's a spiritual birth. It's not just an intellectual understanding that we're looking for. And sometimes people are going to think you're weird for following Jesus. And sometimes people aren't going to like your stance in following Jesus. And so, what do we do? We pick up our cross and we follow Jesus. The early church had uh, a lot of that going on as well. You think back uh, to the beginning, right? There were people who said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. I love this Jesus. And then the empire came in, the, the Roman empire came in and said, okay, that, that's great, but you need to say that Caesar is Lord. And if you say that Caesar is Lord, do whatever you want and behind closed doors, but you need to say Caesar is Lord. And some of them said, I'll die first because uh, he's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And they were willing to give their lives. Meanwhile, some of their friends and family said, okay, Caesar is Lord. I don't want to die. Wouldn't it be better if I just lived? And they justified it all day long. There were no roots. Jesus is calling us to himself. And in following him, it's going to require us picking up our cross and following him. Three, cares of the world. Deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things. Again, those are those distractions. I've said this a lot. I'm going to keep saying this because it's a framework of this uh, kingdom of the world, and that is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's satisfaction, it's significance, it's security. It's those three things that make up the framework of this world system that we are drawn to and drawn into that takes our attention away from Christ and him alone. Hmm. Maybe we can straddle the fence here. Maybe I can be in the world and also in the kingdom of God. Maybe I can be in the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. I can straddle that. That'll be okay. No, that's an uncomfortable place. And Jesus calls us completely into his presence. Completely and totally. And if we're not, we need to be careful because the world will just, it'll just take uh, those seeds and choke them out. So what's our example? What's our example? What do we do? Well, ultimately, Jesus is our example, and he gives us this part of the parable. He says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold 
and a hundredfold. So they're, they're good soil. It's an illustration, though, right? It's an illustration of coming to Christ. It's an illustration of being tender to the Lord. But here's what it is. It's a spiritual birth. It's not something that we can manufacture, but it's a spiritual birth that God allows. And we enter into this relationship trusting God. Like, God, I am trusting you in this birth. I am walking with you in this place. And as we choose to follow him, and as the word kind of gets into the soil and the roots dig in deep, fruit starts to come out 30, 60, 100 fold. Therefore, embrace the word. I like it. That's pretty simple though, right? Embrace the word. Go ahead and turn to John 17, 17. John 17, 17. This is what it says in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The word of God has to be of utmost importance to us. How dare we have the very words of God, the words of life, this love letter given to us and not ever read it or hear it or respond to it? That can't be. We have to embrace this. Embracing it and allowing God to, to do his work in some kingdom sort of ways. And I'll just tell you again that eternity is in the balance of all of this. Like there are people who are going, you know what? Uh, I said this prayer one time and that's good enough. And yeah, my life never changed, but big deal. I said a prayer. I think we're good. Careful. What does the word say to that? There should be fruit. Not that we're earning this salvation, but there is fruit from this salvation, and it's transformative. And so, embrace the word. So let's walk through some questions together. As we're walking through these questions and preparing our heart for communion, the worship team's going to come out. As they're coming out, I want to walk through these questions and talk through them together. Has Satan stolen the word from you? In other words, have there been times where just some doubt, just a little more doubt, just a little more doubt, grab the seed. Has Satan stolen the word? Have you believed it? Have you embraced Satan's lies, even as Eve did? Two, has the lack of getting your way kept you from embracing the word? This is, in the West, we are, we are so guilty of this. I like this part of the scriptures. I like emphasizing this part. Eh, I'm not really big on this part. I like the God is love stuff. I don't like that God actually is ultimately going to judge and that he's going to separate. Eh, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about this loving God and I can do whatever I want. That, no, that's not it. Uh, that's, the, that's the roots uh, going into the rocky soil, right? Are the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things getting in the way? And then, are you being fruitful? If so, how? If so, where? How is that fruit happening? Again, not asking this to, um, to be mean-spirited, not at all, but rather asking this that we can be honest because one day we're all going to face this eternal God and eternity really is in the balance. And, and, 
and we need to have some answers. And perhaps God is allowing this time for us to get those answers. That there is a secret to the kingdom, and his name is Jesus. And he came in the flesh. And wherever you are, whatever, whatever kind of soil <laughs> your heart is, Jesus is willing to make it good soil and to transform us as we call on his name. And we know that all who call on him will be saved, right? It's a repentance. I'm going in this direction, I'm repenting, and I'm calling on Jesus. And so today, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to encourage us to walk through those questions, considering, uh, have, have I really responded to Jesus and all of him? Am I really allowing him to have his way in my life? And is there really fruit? I want, I want to walk with him. I want to know him. And in that place, we're going to come together in just a few moments, and we're going to remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. Pastor Jason is going to lead us in a time of communion and, and, uh, and offering here in just a little bit. At Friendship, one of the ways we practice that is we come forward in the carpeted areas and go to the station that's nearest us. We get both the bread and the cup, return to our seats, and then uh, we worship together, and after a time, someone will lead us in participating in communion together. With that in mind, let's pray. Jesus, we do love you, and we praise you. We thank you for your word and that it's true, and thank you, Lord, that uh, you, you are the secret that was prepared at the beginning of time, that you are not created but always existed. And you made a way for us. And so, Lord, I do ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we both evaluate ourselves and ask you to evaluate our hearts. And also, Lord, that you are in this constant work of transforming our hearts to be good soil, at times removing rocks, at, at times chasing away Satan, uh, at times removing the weeds that are growing up, the thistles and the thorns that are growing up and snuffing out your word. Lord, we stand here together today and we ask for forgiveness for those times where we've believed lies, where we've trusted in our flesh, where we've walked in the kingdom of the world and said that we were in the kingdom of God. Forgive us, O oh Lord, and help us to be faithful and obedient to you in all things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.